What hysterically funny film has eight words in the title? Well, the one that grabbed Best Costume Design at the 1995 Oscars. 28 years later, it's still filled with bitchy queens, fighting, and teaching that drag equals outrageous costumes, love, laughter, and a whole lot of fun. Oh, and did I mention there's Guy Pierce's abs? We're going to have a blast this month. Are you ready? Welcome. You're listening to Real Charlie Speaks, an LGBTQ podcast spinoff of the film and television review blog, Real Charlie, looking at movies and TV from a gay male perspective since 2009. I'm your host, Philip Barr. Each month, I select a classic queer film, television series, or creator. I talk about how the subject spoke to me when I first discovered it years ago and how it stood the test of time. Join me now as we begin another episode adventure. So I know you got this one. Of course, I'm talking about The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, that's eight words. 1994's Australian film directed by Stephen Elliott, who went on to do Eye of the Beholder five years later in 1999. Do you all remember that? That was Ashley Judd and Ewan McGregor. I just... I I had to do this film for several reasons. First of all, I was really in the mood for something fun this month. I just wanted something frothy and uh, laugh out loud and just celebratory. And it didn't really dawn on me until I got about halfway through it that I was like, oh my gosh, I picked a drag film in the middle of this insanity that's going on in this country right now. The United States is really losing its shit over drag. Um, I don't need to say any more than that because uh, if you're living through this, which we all are, um, if you're on the planet and in this country right now, you know like what a horror story this is. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to jump right into the movie because the movie speaks for itself. Uh, So the opening is really sort of mysterious and a little bit sultry. It opens up with a drag performance in a small gay bar in Sydney, Australia. A drag performer who we later learned to find out. um, His name is Tick. And he is the uh, kind of the star of of the film. Although all three characters that are the lead characters are really sort of equally... um, equally the star although ticks it's really ticks journey and the other two are supporting and coming along for the ride but we learn about each of them and learn a lot about each of them throughout the course of the film so uh tick starts singing this really fun song from the 1970s i'm pretty sure it was um and at one point uh it's very funny um this uh young man completely in priest drag um, just comes up, I, probably cardinal drag is a better thing because it was red, it wasn't a black, um, and just comes up on stage for a very brief moment, takes the hand of Tig and twirls around and leaves the stage. Now, I know that's kind of like an obscure thing for me to start out talking about, but I have to tell you that 
my personal relationship with drag goes way back to uh, when I lived in Atlanta post-college. I used to go to the drag clubs all the time. Um, the thing about the drag clubs in Atlanta was that they were very hot and they were set up like a cocktail lounge. So you called ahead of time and you reserved a table for you and your friends. You went there and it felt very sort of 50s, Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra. You walked into the bar with your friends. You gave them your reservation and they took you to a table and then you were served drinks throughout the course of the night and you know you were there at the table to watch the show so i found very early on that the queens that really paid attention to detail were the ones to really watch and to look out for because they were the ones that were really curating their performance to an absolute t so this just tiny little touch of the young man doing the twirl in priest drag just reminded me so much of all these um, just amazing drag queens that I saw in Atlanta way, 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 way before, um, you know, RuPaul uh, had his drag race. Um, RuPaul actually came out of the drag scene in Atlanta. I'm veering off a little bit from the film right now. But I will say that um, I was in Atlanta the same time that RuPaul was up and coming in Atlanta. And I remember him in the um, not just I don't really remember him in the drag bars. Actually, what he used to do is he used to go go dance at the New Wave Club there there in Atlanta and then did uh, he was doing some sort of uh, alternative sort of really uh, scrappy films and early videos and things like that. He was also on cable access a lot during that time period. So it was a really fun time to be a part of the, of the drag scene. And I really, really enjoyed it. So, um, so that's the opening of the film. Priscilla opens up with a very beautiful performance. Um, and then, of course, the comedy happens almost immediately as well. From there, uh, we jump right into a very poignant moment of sadness. And I feel like that sort of sets the stage for how this film is going to unfold. The film is really a comedy, but there is a lot of serious elements to the film and a lot of uh, kind of hardcore um, life lessons within this film. And yet all of it is really peppered by sort of the bitchiness of the drag queens between each other. And, um, and then also, of course, the humor and the beauty of the drag performances as well. So very early on, there's this moment of AIDS reality where um, Bernadette, who's the uh, so there's I should back up and say that there's two drag queens and a transsexual woman. And they're the three that make up the buddy road trip movie of this film. And so Bernadette, who's played remarkably by Terrence Stamp, the uh, the acclaimed actor, is um, Tick calls Bernadette and Bernadette and asks Bernadette how she's doing. And Bernadette says, not very good. Trumpet's just died. And Trumpet, we find out later on, was Bernadette's boyfriend. Um, so we have this moment of AIDS, which um, which sort of kicks you in the teeth. You know, it's 1994. Um, things are just maybe starting to percolate with a little bit of uh, help, but not really. Um, so there's still a lot of uncertainty about whether or not people are going to survive AIDS. Um, so there's that. Um, and as I said, um, from the very moment, uh, then there's a funeral scene after this. And, and then after the funeral scene is when really the sort of buddy road trip thing kicks in. Um, they have a gig in Alice Springs. And if you look on Australia's map, Alice Springs is in the absolute dead center of um, 
of Australia. So it's kind of a Las Vegas sort of town. It's got um, performance space um, and it's, but there's nothing around it. It's completely surrounded by this arid, just desolate desert, really beautiful to look at, but really difficult to drive through or live in. Um, so we still don't have any details about why they're going to Alice Springs, but this is what Tick has, has uh, come up with is he has this four week gig in Alice Springs and he asks Bernadette to go on with him, to go on along with him. He also asks um, Adam, who is the young, uh, young sort of gay boy played again, remarkably by Guy Pierce. Um, and, uh, and so the three of them are sort of hooked up together um, Bernadette has no time for Adam. She just doesn't want anything to do with Adam. Um, Adam is like young and he's very annoying and he's really obnoxious. And uh, he is uh, kind of the little brother in this road trip movie um, in a very uh, fun, loving and absolutely annoying way. So I want to just mention because I think this film, more than some other films that I've reviewed here on Real Charlie Speaks, this film really does, there are a couple things that pop up immediately that have not aged well with this film. So I want to get that out on the table because I don't want people to think that this is going to be an absolute 100% gushing of Priscilla. So the first thing is that very early on in the film, uh, Bernadette's dead name is revealed um, and it's used against her. Um, and then later on, I'll mention it later on, it's mentioned a couple times, at least two more times in the film in a very funny sort of sarcastic, making fun of her way. Um, there's no way that would get that would get by, that would get past any sort of editors today. That just wouldn't happen. Also, the other obvious thing is that there are three straight male actors playing um, these LGBT characters in this film. And again, um, you know, that was really sort of, um, you know, it was the way it was back in 1994. So we have uh, Hugo Weaving, who I had not mentioned, but Hugo Weaving, who had a huge, has had a huge career. Um, you know, he's been in the Matrix movies and um, several other things. So he plays Tick, uh, Terrence Stamp plays Bernadette, and Guy Pierce plays Adam. So the three of them are just powerhouse actors. They're amazing actors, and they did a great job. I mean, there's no, like, you don't feel like a hesitation or an awkwardness with any of this. They just, they all feel three of them just sort of like dove into their characters. And in particular, I have to say Terrence Stamp's transsexual character. He did a great job. But again, 1994 versus 2023, nearly 30 years later, there is no way all three of those actors would have been straight. So fairly early on in the road trip, we discover that Tick has a wife in Alice Springs and everyone, when I say everyone, Bernadette and Adam are absolutely baffled by this. But it's introduced in sort of a very awkward way and then slowly throughout the movie, um, the layers are sort of peeled away and you sort of get an idea of how this happened, why this happened. Um, and it really, uh, it really speaks to, it has a very contemporary feel, this part of the story, because we're dealing with sort of um, fluid sexuality. We're dealing with um, friends getting together because they want to have a kid together. There's all sorts of things um, and queer people just sort of being queer and not having labels. Um, so, you know, I, none of us thought of this back in 1994. Um, I remember going to this film um, 
the weekend, it was a, one of the Wigstock weekends. So I had friends that used to come up from Atlanta when I lived in New York City in the 1990s, uh, when Wigstock, which is, was a huge drag outdoor event every Labor Day weekend, was in full swing. And, um, and my friend Rosser would perform as DeAndre Peake. Um, if, you, uh, if you have any interest in that, you can just Google DeAndre Peake. Um, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But um, you can see he's, he's, he's got tons of videos on there. Um, and was a really great performer. But um, anyway, we went to see it in the movies and absolutely fell in love with this. And we had no, like, we were just so grateful to have a drag movie that had gay characters who weren't, um, you know, who weren't murdered at the end or didn't go straight. It was just really, really incredible. So, um, so yeah, so that whole sort of disclosure happens with Tick and his wife, and actually the whole idea of the road trip movie is that Tick has is uh, his wife runs a an entertainment center, sort of like Las Vegas in um, in Alice Springs, and so they're going there to do kind of to do her a favor, and she's um, giving them a four week gig there. So they're in the middle of playing cards on the bus. Oh, I guess I should back up for a minute because I haven't even talked about the freaking bus, which is crazy. So um, so early on, they try to figure out how are they going to get to Alice Springs. And then Adam find, discovers that his mother, who really wants him to be straight, is willing to buy him a used school bus if he or it's not really a school bus. It's a used like kind of Greyhound type bus. Um, if he uh, if he possibly can go out on a date with a woman or something, it's of course totally ridiculous as most uh, comedy setups are. But um, but it gives them the bus and the and the bus's name is Priscilla, so that's why it's the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The bus's name is actually Priscilla. So while they're on the bus, they're playing cards, and Adam says to Tick, "If I win the card game." Uh, well, Tick, actually, I should back up. Tick says to Adam, if I win the card game, you're never going to talk about my wife ever again on this trip. And Adam says, if I win the card game, you're going to we're going to do what I want to do. So immediately they cut to the fact that Adam does win the card game and he wants the girls to go shopping at this town, this random town that they stop in. So literally the bus pulls up, stops and the three of them get out. Bernadette is dressed in in just her normal clothing as a trans woman. But Tick and Adam are dressed up as drag queens. And I'm here to tell you that this is the first indication of the Oscar quality of the costuming in this film. You kind of look at the two of them as they get off the bus and you cannot believe how incredible their outfits are, their um, their hair. I can't call it wigs because the hair is not real hair. Um, but you just have to see it to believe it. If, if you Google, um, you know, Priscilla Queen of the Desert costuming, it's just unbelievable. It's so gorgeous. Also, um, they stop at the um, they stop at this town for for an overnight stay. So they sleep at this town and they stay at this hotel. It's a really wacky hotel. And this is really the first instance of homophobia that happens to them in the bar. They walk into a bar to have a cocktail, but they're still in their drag clothes. Um, and um, Bernadette, as a trans woman, uh, has not her voice has not changed. So she still has a very deep voice. Um, and um, she's still showing beard, which again, like in 2023, 
they would have hired a trans woman um, because it's it's it, it said early on that Bernadette's transition, uh, her full transition, happened uh, a long time ago, as she she refers to it as the snip. So um, so she would not have a she would her voice would be altered a bit, and uh, she wouldn't have she would be much more passable, I guess, is what I'm saying um, as a as a cisgender woman. But anyway, there is um, there's this weird moment in the bar where the bar is completely filled with men except for one woman. And the woman comes up and challenges them and says, you don't belong here. We don't want your kind here. And Bernadette just like very calmly, as she does throughout the whole film, just turns around and completely lacerates this woman with her language. So I had a moment where I was like, is there a little bit of misogyny going on here? Um, or... Is it just that the only cisgender female in the entire bar is the one that's causing trouble? And I kind of feel like as I've thought through this with my 2023 mind, it's really the second question that I offered, which is that um, it doesn't really have anything to do with them uh, hating women or anything like that. It really is just that the homophobia was laser focused on them uh, and the transphobia I should say as um, by this woman and so they of course uh, bounce back um, with her also once again Felicia calls Bernadette by her dead name and this is the first instance in the film that she does it to Bernadette's face so there's a big confrontation with that Um, and I have to tell you uh, to be honest that in 1994 I did not understand the whole concept of dead name to me this was just like another part of the script another part of the story um, and it made for some uh, interesting conflict between the characters but I didn't really get the whole concept of the sensitivity of dead name until like maybe five or ten years ago when trans people online were really bringing this to everybody's attention the next day they wake up and they go to leave and they go to get back on the bus and the bus is spray painted in gigantic letters and it says AIDS fuckers go home. So this is a this is really the first I mean the homophobia and the transphobia the night before was mild compared to this. This is where everyone watching the movie as viewers gets sort of knocked in the head by this by this moment because as i mentioned it's 1994 so there's no the met the cocktail has not come out yet you know we're very close to it but all of us in the world in 1994 had no idea how close we were to that um and so things were still haywire people were still dying of aids a lot of people people were still getting sick with with aids and hiv and um the general public especially small town uh suburban um, or the rural um, America and Australia um, were really afraid and um, really caustic against it. So it's just um, it's it's this moment that really is jarring and it's shocking and it gets into your skin and you're kind of like shivering um, from all the hatred and the homophobia and the AIDS phobia. They jump, they get back on the bus, Adam buys some paint, they get back on the bus, and then all of a sudden there is um, the second big costume number, which is um, Adam is on top of the bus while the bus is driving in the middle of the desert, 
um, doing, and there's an opera uh, song going on and he's sort of sitting in, there's a giant uh, platform shoe, a silver platform shoe, which is going to be one of the props in their show. And it's on top of the bus and he's sitting in the shoe doing this amazing, amazing number um, on top of the bus as the bus is driving through the desert. So that sort of balances out the AIDS fuckers go home. Then we get a sort of our first glimpse into why Adam is the way he is. Um, he tells a story about his childhood with an uncle um, who was um, doing things with him. Um, and uh, so there's a combination of sort of like the horror of pedophilia and then also the fact that this little boy sort of fought back in a very funny way. And it sort of uh, shows uh, Adam's sense of humor, but also his sense of survival. Um, and I think I, I really have to commend the, the the writers of this film. They weren't afraid of going there um, and showing this as part of the character's past. I mean, obviously, being molested doesn't turn you into some one one gender, one sexuality. Um, it happens to all kinds of people. Um, but uh, but for I would have to say that there are probably a lot of um, young gay boys that were that were molested so um because perhaps because of their um quiet nature their innocence uh or even femininity um who knows but um but it shows this and it's really um there's no uh it's a very clear-cut scene like you know what's going on you don't see anything of course but you know what's going on the language and the and the um the dialogue in the scene is very um explicit but in like a very calm sort of way um, which makes it really really creepy so then we get to the point where the bus breaks down in the middle of nowhere which we all knew that was coming because it's a used bus and it's kind of uh you know it's rough it has seen better days and um so they break down in the middle of nowhere um, adam decides to paint the bus to get rid of the aids fucker go home aids fuckers go home bernadette decides that she's going to go for help because nobody else is really taking control and so she takes control of that and tick decides to practice choreography for the show so there's amazing and beautiful dramatic images of bernadette walking in the middle of the desert um you can tell that this was really filmed on location because uh in several scenes there's actually flies landing on um Terrence Stamp's face while he's doing the scene. So it really is the kind of like desolate area that you can imagine it is. She finds someone and then they take off. And then as they're figuring out, like, what are they going to do the next day? Um, this young man sort of appears in the middle of the desert. And it turns out that he's from a camp of Aboriginal workers um, who are uh, camping out. I guess close enough by that they notice the bus. So this is where um, the first big uh, number happens. So they have been practicing a number um, and then the uh, young Aboriginal male comes um, and, uh, and then he, his name is Alan. He takes them back to their camp and they just, they listen to some beautiful sort of indigenous music that some of the guys are doing with, uh, with stringed instruments and then they decide, oh, well, they've got to add to it. So they decide to do their I Will Survive number. So they do Glory Gainers, I Will Survive in, um, and they, of course, show up in costumes, which is great. And then they pull Alan in uh, as the fourth person at one point. So it's very, very funny. 
the next day, uh, they have this guy named Bob who is going to um, help them with their um, help them fix the fix the bus. But he needs to take them to his town. So they drive to his town. It's a small town. And he finds out that um, Bernadette is from this very famous uh, female impersonation group like back in maybe the 60s called Lay Girl and that Bernadette was actually the most famous Lay Girl. So he begs them to perform in his uh, town, in his like town bar, which is this really like redneck, sort of rough kind of um, rural sort of uh, Australian, just just what you'd imagine. Um with rural Australia. So the girls agree, but Bob's wife is, um, is Asian and she's, um, she came with, nobody knows her story, but you can, you can tell from the way she speaks that she's not native to Australia. And so she tells them that she also performs and she wants to perform as well. And he's like, no, 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 you're not going to perform. There's a really funny moment in the uh, it, after the the boys perform very briefly, nobody claps, and then she actually gets out of the house, comes up, and starts performing. Here's another sort of um, awkward, like, does this really survive the test of time moment? Um, this character, um, she is locked in the house because she is forbidden to perform she's been banned from the bar because she is too lewd and um uh, and she just she's just she's just banned from the bar so it's a little bit of awkwardness about like oh is this really appropriate for someone to lock their spouse in the house and um but it's all done sort of tongue-in-cheek as a lot of these movies were back then and previous in previous decades as well um and it all works out fine like she ends up sort of turning alpha and taking charge of her life and she ends up leaving him the next day and just says like you can't you know i can't handle this anymore i'm leaving because she just wants to do her thing and she doesn't want to be like held back by some you know husband that's um that's a lot nicer of a guy than she wants um she wants to have fun and be playful and uh, perform um because she was uh she was a prostitute in whatever um, country that she lived in. They don't, it's just not really clear from the film. Bob then decides that he's going to accompany them to another town called Cooper Pedy, which is where they're going to get the car part for the bus. So this sort of propels them to this even further remote town because they're going way, way, way out into the desert. As I mentioned before, they get to this isolated little um, mirage called Alice Springs. So this is a mining town. Everybody works underground. They blow things up and then they come up at the night and it's just all men. And there's just one video store in town. And then there's like sort of a, a barbecue sort of pit place where they drink beer at night and that's it. So Adam decides to take some ecstasy and go find some guys. And of course, this turns really bad, really fast, where the guys figure out that he is a drag queen and not a woman and start chasing him. And they're, they start kicking him and they're just about to really mess him up bad when, of course, Bernadette shows up and once again saves the day. Now, I love the idea of trans women and drag queens saving the day. Um but I do have to say that this scene was just a little bit too easy. Of course, I cheer this scene every time I see it because Bernadette just absolutely kicks ass. But I do think that in real life, like all these other guys would probably beat the shit out of all three of them. And that would be the end of it. 
But again, it's a really great scene because it's showing the empowerment of trans women and also of drag queens. So there's a lovely, lovely moment between Bernadette and Adam, and there's been no lovely moments between them up, up until this point. Bernadette thinks that Adam is immature and ridiculous and flighty, and Adam thinks that Bernadette is old and stodgy and um, and has no sense of humor. But there's this moment where um, you know Bernadette talks to Adam and says like you know this is um, you know I've had to do this ever since you know being a man the one day and a woman the next I've had to really face this kind of hatred and cruelty and we all have to do this and there's a there's a great quote from the from the from the film at this point that I'm going to read because I love this so much years ago I actually printed this out because I just thought it was the most beautiful quote so it's Bernadette speaking to Felicia which is because um, uh Ad, who's Adam that's Adam's drag name Adam's in drag back at the hotel room they're safe but uh, Adam got really messed up it's funny we all sit around mindlessly slagging off that vile stink hole of a city but in its own strange way it takes care of us I don't know if that ugly wall of suburbia has been put out there to stop them from getting in or us getting out come on don't let it drag you down. Let it toughen you up. I can only fight because I've learned to. Being a man one day and a woman the next isn't an easy thing to do. So that's the quote, and I just think it's so beautiful. It talks a lot about how you can have find safety in big cities, which a lot of people have done. And what we're seeing right now with the whole drag queen, you know, the drag thing and the anti-gay, you know, don't say gay bills and everything is that there's a lot of states around the country that are um, really... Um, listening to sort of a, 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 a nasty, caustic, um, you know, small-mindedness, um, small majority, m minority, I should say, small minority of people um, to do that. So, um, you know, this is just really a great moment in, this, in, in the film. The one great thing that I have to say that the movie does just beautifully, and for 1994, is pretty remarkable that it really gives a very clear difference between drag and transsexuals so even though Bernadette is doing drag everyone treats Bernadette as a trans woman and as a woman as opposed to um, when Tick and Adam are out of drag they are boy you know they're in their boy drag they're in their boy clothes their guy clothes so we get to the resort finally we meet Tick's wife, Marion, who's really a hoot, um, and his son, Benji, appears as well, who's this really sweet eight-year-old boy. And then we get really the biggest number of the film, which is the finally number, C.C. Penniston's song, Finally, from the 1990s. And there are multiple outfit changes during this song, which is, of course, ridiculous because they could never change outfits this many times during one song. They'd have to change outfits in between songs. But they really just showcase the absolute over-the-top excellence of the costuming and why it won an Oscar. So the second outfit change goes into... Um, they, they show up in blue and black ostrich outfits. Their headpieces are these tall ostrich heads. Um, really, really gorgeous. Adam manages to look sexy in this outfit. Tick, of course, looks silly. And Bernadette looks absurd. Um, and um, they just really play. They're very playful in this and really a lot of fun. The third costume change is sort of a yellow and red reptilian theme. 
Um, and then finally, they have this sort of ballroom chic costume that they come out in. Um, and um, and just uh, that ends the number and people just go crazy in the audience and start cheering, and clapping, giving them a standing ovation. And meanwhile, Tick has made Marion promise that Benji would be in bed and not see him because he's really worried. He doesn't uh, think Benji understands or knows that he's gay and that he's a drag queen. Um, and it turns out that Benji actually is in the audience. Marion was lying to him and um, and Tick ends up fainting. Um, and so they revive Tick. And it turns out that now we know the whole story because one of the reasons why Marion wanted him out there was to sort of reintroduce Tick to Benji. And then Marion is ready to sort of have some time to herself after eight years of being with her child. So she wants Tick, who's the father, to take Benji just for a couple of months. Um, just, I guess it's sort of like a summer vacation kind of thing, just so that she can have some time to sort of breathe and catch up. Um, so this is a very interesting turn in the story. And then simultaneously, there is a very gentle sort of burgeoning love affair happening between Bernadette and Bob, which is really shocking because who would have thought that was coming? They all go out on a picnic the next day together, and um, there is a conversation between Tick and Benji that is so beautiful. Um, I have cried during this moment in the film every time I've seen this over the years, starting in 1994 all the way through till last night when I watched it again to prep for the podcast. And I have to tell you that this is the moment that every asshole that is against drag and against gay, you know, um, allowing teachers to say that they're LGBT to their students in school. This is the this is the scene that they should watch. It's a conversation between Tick and Benji. Again, Benji's an eight-year-old boy. Tick is really awkward as an adult, really awkward. He doesn't want to harm Benji. He doesn't want to push an agenda on Benji. He doesn't even know if Benji should know that he's gay or that he does drag. Benji already knows all these things because his mom has been so open over the years. So he and he's of a pure spirit that none of this means anything. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just is. So this moment between the two of them, the dialogue goes like this. So Benji says, do you think you're going to have a boyfriend when we get back to Sydney? And Tick says to him, as Tick is being sh Tick, Tick is shocked, but Tiz Tick says to him, maybe. And Benji like looks at him for a split second and says, that's good. Honestly, this is the absolute sweetest moment in the film. Um, I just can't even tell you how beautiful it is. You know, it's really about how kids are about love. There's They're innocent. Adults respect them. They respect the adults. It's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. It's very late in the film. We're getting close to the end of the film, but it sort of seals the deal um, so that now Tick can relax. He can welcome the idea of being a dad and taking that back to the gay community in Sydney and not feeling awkward about it. So the final thing that they're going to do, the three of them, is that Adam wanted, uh, he's always dreamed about going up this certain mountain, um, which is very rocky. It's a rocky mountain in the middle of the dead, in the middle of the, the country, um, in a frock and, uh, and climbing it together. So they're all in their frocks and their blundstones. If you don't know what blundstones are, blundstones are these really great pull-on boots 
um, sort of, I think we call them Chelsea boots here in, in the US, but the the brand is called Blundstones, the Australian brand. I wore them for years. Um, I have a, I still have a pair of Chelsea boots that I just got recently. I just love the look at them. This was where I discovered Blundstones was in this movie. I can't tell you how enamored I was with these three actors dressed in beautiful um, sort of, um, I don't even know what the drag you'd call the drag, but it's like they're sort of in like leotards with like jewels hanging off of the leotards, um, nylons, and then headpieces, um, beautiful makeup, and blundstones. So the blundstones are like so sort of um, butch and not femi at all. Um, and it just makes for this beautiful contrast and it just made me fall in love. There's, of course, more fantastic views of the scenery and the desert, um, which has been, you know, a running story uh, between, you know, throughout the whole the movie, which makes the um, topography of Australia, the Australian desert, um, so much uh, a part of this film. And of course, remember, this is pre-drones, so they were doing beautiful, beautiful aerial shots um, without drone technology. So they get to the very top of the mountain, and Adam says, what now? And Tick says, I think I want to go home. And Adam responds, me too. And Bernadette finishes the conversation by saying, well then, let's finish the shows and go home. But... Bernadette doesn't stay home. Bernadette ends up taking a job from Marion and she's going to stay and Bob is staying with her. So there's this possibility that Bernadette and Bob will actually end up being a couple. From that moment when uh, Tick and Adam and Benji get into the bus to go back home, the ABBA song begins. Finally, we get ABBA. Um, and it's just a glorious end to this absolutely beautiful film. The movie is so important now because of the anti-drag legislation going on all over the country. The final scene, this final scene that I just mentioned is just complete happiness. Um, Tick and Adam perform ABBA back in that dumpy little Sydney gay bar that they both work in. Benji is in the audience. Uh, on somebody's shoulders, sort of running the lights with the stage hand. It's the absolute definition of how drag is such an amazing form of entertainment and that is really, really all full of joy. So um, I'm so thrilled that I that I chose this, um, not really thinking it completely through other than like, oh, I love Priscilla. Oh, I want something really fun and upbeat for this month. And then halfway through sort of realizing like, holy shit, we're in the middle of this like horrible thing where People are getting, you know, like protested and rocks thrown at them and death threats given to them for Drag Queen Story Hour and states are doing Don't Say Gay Bills. And in the middle of all of this is this film from 28 years ago that shows and proves just like Drag Race proves and every other that drag is a is an, is a fun and amazing um, and fascinating form of entertainment that has nothing to do with hatred or you know, grooming people or any of that stuff. Um, so I'm so thrilled to still have Priscilla in my life. As I mentioned, there are a couple of things that in today's world probably wouldn't fly, but they are not deal breakers for me. Um, this film just is so glorious and so beautiful. 
I love it. I love revisiting it every couple of years and I have loved presenting it here for Real Charlie Speaks. So I wanna thank you all for taking this journey with me. Um, if you haven't seen this recently, it's a really fun movie to watch. It's a great movie to watch with other people. Um, the music, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, and just uh, if you watch it, just have a blast and uh, do it in honor of all the people that are fighting so hard right now to um, make this world a sane place and this country to rid this country of all the hatred and the um, horrible things that are happening politically in this country. So I send all of you lots of kisses and lots of glitter and drag um, and magic for, uh, for your week and your months ahead. I will see you next month. This is Philip R. I'm Real Charlie Speaks. Thank you.